Hey everybody, um, welcome back to Fixed Astro Pod. Uh, today and uh, today, Tao and I are going to talk about uh, the moon's planetary joy in the third house, and we are so excited to talk about this one because I feel like the third house is a very misunderstood house in astrology, and there are some significations that people sleep on when it comes to this house. So, yeah, um, how do you feel about this uh, topic, Pal? I'm I am excited about it. I thought I think we found some really really good example charts too. So I'm 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 like I'm excited to jump into it. But I know we want to start first with discussing the current astro weather. <sighs> yeah, so the enclosure so glad it's done to be honest. Like I so like Venus is my time lord this year and it's just not yeah. okay it was okay until I would say the last like three days leading up to it because that's when it was really um mm. tense but now that Venus is separated it's just kind of like oh can she just go into Pisces already I'm tired <laughs> <laughs> yeah for me the- Venus is my chart ruler <laughs> And Venus is going was trans going through this enclosure in my tenth house, so it was definitely active. I don't. It, it wasn't the worst transit I've ever experienced, but it just wasn't pleasant to say the least. It was. It's been showing up for me um, in terms of you know. I just so. I guess this also falls into announcements, but I'm, I'm here. I'm finally in New York City now, and I moved on March 8th. Sorry, that's wrong. March 11th. And it's these past few weeks now, I haven't even been in New York yet a full month, but it's been a lot of like um, issues with clothing. Like I didn't, I packed plenty of warm clothes knowing it was going to be cold here and then didn't expect that the weather was going to be in the 70s on some days like the weather's been very very sporadic here and it's had it's led me to needing to buy new clothes i had one really literal instance where i was at a local thrift store trying to find clothes and i <laughs> i got stuck in a shirt i was trying on like this <laughs> I shouldn't have tried it on to begin with. It was not obviously not stretchy material. And I got stuck in this fucking shirt <laughs> trying to take it off. And I really was so scared that I was going to have to walk out <laughs> of this dressing room <laughs> and then ask the employees to cut me out of it. But after like a really, really long time, I was able to like slip out of this. thing. <laughs> yeah. That's that's been this transit for me on top of work stuff. Definitely a lot of work stuff um, that I can't talk about publicly, unfortunately. Yeah, you know what it was for me? Um, I had a client try to book, um, you know, a referral client try to book readings. And I don't know what happened on her end, but it's like she kept booking like every slot I had available, like for the next two months. And <laughs> I saw like because I saw the amount and I was like I don't have a reading that's worth this much money that's a lot of money and she did it like 20 or 30 times and I was Holy like shit. this so it ended up being like 
almost $1,500. And I was like, oh, that's all right. And I had to like go and I saw that there were like 20 something different bookings. And I was like, um, so I had to like cancel all the bookings and refund. But like something, some weird error happened where PayPal wasn't like taking from my balance and it actually went to my bank account, which does not have that much money in the checking. And and then it's like my my account's like you overdrafted. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I saw and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? So this error like almost like like fucked me over financially, and so I had to like wow. basically fix that. And that was like the day that Venus and Saturn were exact. And I was like, you've got to be fucking joking me. This is ridiculous. Oh. Yeah, it was really funny for me. I don't know if, if you felt. I felt like this, this Venus enclosure felt a little like Mercury retrograde in some ways, in terms of just some of the delays and the setbacks yes. that took place. Like I, like I said, with the clothes issue for me, but this um, Venus also rules my sixth house, so just dealing with my cat through this move, like my cat was just such a main issue with my move and luckily things did go smoothly like she's totally fine but it was it was just like an added frustration just having to go on a 12 plus hour flight with a cat i love how you're talking about your cat because mine is purring very happily in my lap right now i don't know if you can kind of hear her but um yeah no i felt like this was very much it, it was like bordering on like mercury retrograde bad because like venus does rule my third house and so it's literally it was literally like this tech doesn't work that tech doesn't work or oh this thing is no longer available to you like figure this out and it's like this is so inconvenient and annoying so like one thing that showed up was that um my institution like closed the animal facility because you know they got donor money to like you know do shit with and you know we've been having this email back and forth with like the people who work in the animal facility and the director and it seemed like in order to get the things that we needed like machines that we needed to like you know function we had to go tattle on them because it's like okay you guys said this this and this were here but this this and that are not here and they're like oh well it's there now and it's just like okay but like it wasn't there when we told you like none of that was there so now that it's there great but then like they created other problems by trying to fix you know these other problems and so (laughs) i'm hoping it'll get better this week when um venus goes into pisces but that was another like annoying side effect just just these like ridiculous yeah. chains of like this isn't here <laughs> but that's not here and this doesn't work and that's not like it, it's just fucking ridiculous oh my god i i, I can't wait until venus because i for me I, I i i just didn't feel like even, the enclosure is over definitely but venus in Aquarius still is like Venus without any dignity. It, to me, it's just going to be such a huge shift once Venus enters Pisces on the 5th. Um, it is pretty... Uh, is it the 5th? Or is it, yeah, it is the 5th. Because the day before is when the Mars-Saturn conjunction happens. So it's kind of like... Yeah. Uh, we get this one other difficult transit and then we finally get Venus into Pisces and then all these other kind of nice Pisces transits yeah i'm not excited about the mars saturn conjunction like 
I don't know. It's just weird because I have a lot of like Mars influenced or Saturn influenced people in my life. And I'm just seeing how like the transit is affecting them. So like my sibling is moving and, you know, my sibling has like a cap first house, Aries fourth house. And it's like, oh, you're moving like literally. But like, I think that squares mercury in her chart and like mercury rules her job <laughs> so i'm just like Aww. that's gotta be like really annoying like coordinating a move i know a couple of scorpio risings who've had job interviews or literally about to change jobs right now um yeah but like that's gonna like like them making these decisions around work are going to like throw a wrench and literally like their whole like routine and everything <laughs> so it's just like I feel like while you know there are some positive like because you know just thinking about some of the Scorpio risings I know it's like while the new moon corresponded to getting a new job or getting like a really good job interview like I feel like there's going to be some like news on uh Tuesday that's just like okay you were excited about this thing but like here's all this like you know paperwork to deal with or oh like you thought you were going to work with this person you're going to work in this group and you're not going to be at this building but you're going to have to go somewhere else and like it's going to like make your commute stupid you know what i mean just stuff like that yeah it's just no absolutely the last time we had this mars saturn conjunction and it was in aquarius was april that early april 2020 which was at this Mm -hmm. point pretty much every place had been locked down um in Hawaii, we were full on and shut down. Like no one could leave their homes. It was one of those first ones, and so yeah, I think just a lot of that in the inhibited or just the frustrated <laughs> energies is gonna come up for sure. Um, I do wonder if it's just gonna because it, it is funny that we are in this different place now, and I'm sure a lot of it has to do with just Jupiter's in Pisces now versus in Capricorn when it was, mm-hmm. you know, when this conjunction happened two years ago. But we're now in this very different place where so many places have loosened restrictions. But and, you know what? You know what's hilarious? Yeah. Like, so I remember. Um, so if you if you've watched the news recently, China you know whose country does have like an Aquarius rising in one of its iterations um Shanghai and a bunch of like other major cities are under lockdown because of COVID right now um and the last time they were in lockdown was basically during that you know time when Saturn and Mars were kind of chasing each other through Cap and Aquarius um another thing that's interesting is that COVID is literally going up everywhere again and I think that Uh I feel like I remember one of us saying that like Saturn Mars is going to be like coming to the realization that we cannot go back to like the old normal. We need to commit yeah. to new normal. Like we we can't. Like it doesn't matter if it's like um mask mandates, vaccines, like whatever, but like I think the idea that we're going to just suddenly like live like it's party like it's 2019 again like I think that needs to go out the window and like I think that something that happens on the fourth and like you know in the days after like will probably make people realize that Uh um uh yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely 
I think um, other than that, the on the twelfth is when the Jupiter Neptune conjunction goes exact, but that that um, really starts applying like as soon as the eighth, and um, and then Mars will enter Pisces on the fourteenth. So by the, by the time Mars enters Pisces, we've got Venus, Jupiter, and Neptune also in Pisces. This is a little bit of a dignity jump for Mars as well. Not as nice as it is for Venus, but Mars will at least have dignity by triplicity in Pisces. So, um, and won't be with with Saturn anymore. Yeah, I'm just like worried about the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction because like Jupiter and Pisces, while, you know, as a Pisces rising, I've been enjoying Jupiter privilege. (laughs) Um, I can see how it's been not great for a lot of people. And honestly, I feel like the concept of narrative this, narrative that, narrative everything, we need to retire the word narrative, um, has just dominated, especially as like Jupiter started closing in on Neptune. And I think that whatever narrative is going on and you know the piscean but also to some extent the sagittarian parts of your life will like reach some peak around this time um Mm. yeah and then mars coming in is just like okay light match let's go (laughs) (laughs) um as it tries to you know catch up with jupiter yeah, I, I'm curious what you, you what it's been like for you being in your first house and stuff because for me in my eleventh house it's been I mean you know, I'm in the new city so it's been very much like oh finding community and on one hand yeah I, I've been getting some of the Jupiter privilege too because Jupiter is my time lord and so I, I feel like I've been making really really good connections but. I am very, I, I don't know yet what the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction will be like for me. I will say that, um, you know, I've been thinking about when will I be ready to date again and go on the apps. Um, mm-hmm. And I initially thought about that conjunction. And then I think I've decided I'm going to wait until after because it does, it does worry me a little bit too in terms of like over-idealizing or thinking something's too good, someone's too good to be true. <laughs> Um, let's see. So, I mean, Jupiter, because Jupiter also rules my 10th. Um, it's been like having more clear, like ironically, because Neptune's there, having more clarity on where I think my current career trajectory is going to go and like what I'm going to do as a person. Um, obviously a lot of that is, uh, somewhat optimistic because you know as someone who's very jupiter influenced i tend towards optimism um Mm -hmm. but another weird side effect is you know my boss has been super nice to me (laughs) Mm. i mean i I can't like i i I mean I, i can't make it um any more literal than that and it's basically just like okay here's a blank check for like what you think you should do. It's like, okay, I think I should do this. He's like, okay, go do it. I'm like, great. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not always a good thing. And it's, but it's nice because that conjunction is really close to my Saturn. And like, I know Saturn's like a huge problem for me in terms of like 
I'm always like, okay, I don't know what the limits are. So like, I'm going to assume I can't do anything. But like, in reality, it's like, try until you hit a wall, right? Yeah. Instead of assuming that you're stuck in a wall. Um, and so that's been nice. Um, I think also just having more ideas about my relationship with larger networks has become very prominent, especially since Jupiter's been mm. in Pisces. Like I've done a lot of like weird career networking things. And I think that mm. I'm doing a lot more of that as well. So yeah, that that's how that's yeah. been for me. It's been great, but like the day-to-day of living my life with like everything in Aquarius has been hell. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I know, I mean, I know astrology isn't, like, your main career, for lack of a better term, but, I mean, you've also been increasing with some of your networking, even in, like, Astroworld and stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I'm on the Association of Young Astrologers Board now, which is great. Um, I feel like I'm also just, like, talking to more astrologers and, like, coming up with, like, collaborative ventures with more astrologers. It's funny because that week I'm, like meeting up with another astrologer friend to talk about like some other project like literally three days after this conjunction so um (laughs) it's 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 really interesting and yeah no like that's definitely been a thing in both my astro life and my life as like a like a like a science person like for sure definitely yeah no i love it for you um, I think on I, I didn't include the eclipse at the end of the month for this astro weather because I feel like we could save it for our next episode. <laughs> we should uh, because it's going to be Venus and that eclipse is ruled <laughs> by a very, very, very happy Venus. So yeah, let's save it. <laughs> yeah, let's save it. Any announcements? Because um, my only one was just, uh, yeah, I'm here in New York. I've been meeting some local astrologers here. It's been really, really awesome. And the moves overall been really smooth. But anything else for you to announce? Um, let's see. My books are open. Um, you can only get on my books if you are on my mailing list or if you've been referred. Um, so if you're none of those things, too bad. (laughs) Um, I don't have any other announcements besides that. My website will be launching properly. I haven't decided if I'm going to still go with an Aries season launch or if I'm going to, you know, be self-absorbed and make my site uh, a Taurus just like myself <laughs> so um, we'll, we'll see we'll see but it's coming I would say probably like before the end of the month for sure I'll have my website up um, other than that I don't have anything like too interesting happening at least not this month but we'll see nice I'm I'm personally for making your site a Taurus just like you but <laughs> that's me and my Leo placement speak <laughs> you know what I might do it plus it'll give me time to like make it better because I finally showed it to my Libra mother and like she's great because she's like all about design and she has a great like aesthetic eye right and so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she's actually um <clears throat> she's like oh like try looking at these things and like show me like what like these other ideas like 
look like to you and then like I can talk you through some stuff and so I'm like oh cool so like you know I'm gonna enlist the help of like a more Venusian Venusian you know like to yeah help my poor little Aries Venus out and uh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah love it yes Okay, well, let's um, let's start then with the moon in its joy, the third house. Yeah, I, I wanted to begin just to recap. Um, well, first, if you all haven't listened to our first episode in this series titled Mercury um, in its joy, the first house, you all should listen to that, the first part of that episode, because that's where we really break down all of the just the basics and about what are the planetary joys and before we jump into mercury and its joy so go ahead and give a listen to that but just to give a very brief recap of what we discussed in that section like the planets help one of the things we discussed is that the planets help determine the meanings of the houses and a planet is in its joy a planet in its joy is happiest because this house best suits its characteristics and its nature it's a form it's considered a form of accidental dignity versus essential dignity which we discussed um you know has to do with um actually really, I, I won't go, go into it now um you listen to the previous episode but um another thing another big takeaway from the last episode was that nocturnal planets joy on the bottom half of the chart and diurnal planets joy in the top half of the chart and mercury is the only planet that joys in an angular house and the rest are in cadent or succeedent houses so um i wanted to note that for me um i thought one of the greatest or the best source one of my main sources when i was coming up with the material for today was Demetra george actually has a great article on the moon and its joy it's on her website on her blog but you can also just google search like Demetra george moon joy <laughs> that's how I, that's how i found it but um, but yeah, I guess just a really quick breakdown of the moon joying in the third house, given what I just shared. The moon is a nocturnal planet, and so it joys again on the, in the third house, uh, which is located in the bottom half of a chart. And the moon, um, the, the third house is a cadent house, and it's what is often described as the least good of the good houses and the least bad of the bad houses and that yeah the cadent houses aren't um they're they're not fun houses but the third house as well as the ninth house are considered yeah the least bad um Another thing, too, is um, this moon in the third, joining in the third house is grouped in the fourth house angular triad. And so it's the house that precedes the fourth house. And this fourth house angular triad, so it's the third house, the fourth, and the fifth, are associated with the element Earth. And so both Venus and the moon are triplicity lords of Earth. Um, again, we I discussed that in more detail. We discussed that in more detail in the previous episode. Yeah. But anything else I, to add? I really like that it is grouped in that angular triad because. So this is something we talked about, not you and I, but I talked about with um, Michael J. Morris and um, Jason Key on the astrology show when we did the earth episode and that was such a rich discussion and i think that if you want to understand this particular piece about um you know the ic or the um anti-culminating point being associated with the being flanked by the 
the the joy of the moon or um the joy of venus um that that's like a rich discussion you can listen to um in more depth but i really like the idea that two of the planets with arguably the most like feminine associations at least in the western tradition um get to flank like the like the rootedness of the chart. So I see the IC or the um, fourth house as holding up the chart. It's like the thing that allows, it's like the anchor, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, That allows us to um, grow. And I just think it's interesting how, um, if you think about angular triads, I know a lot of people think in secondary motion, like the movement through the zodiac, but you should, like when you think about the houses, it's better to think about uh, primary motion so uh, diurnal rotation so mm. the rising and setting so the third house is the things that came before um, you know what's currently in the fourth house and so when you think about the moon's joy and like something that I think about when I think of the third and fourth together is like ancestry and like your family and your roots whereas like Mm -hmm. the fifth house is like what's going to like come after like what's currently in the fourth house it's the next thing right it's like what's coming Mm -hmm. after it's children it's offspring right um the family is like the family as it exists now so maybe like you know you your parents whatever um and then your children Mm -hmm. but then like the third house is like, you know, extended relatives. And some people have all these arguments about, well, where do uncles go? And where do grandparents go? And like one interesting thing you can do with this house is you can get a lot of mileage by throwing all of those people like as a collective in the third. Because it's mm. like, the this was the main family unit before your current family unit. And then, you know, the fifth house is like your next family union, like what you end up producing, right? Um, but yeah. then like if you want to know specific things about like, you know, maternal grandfather, like my dad's brother, like obviously use derived houses because that's more interesting. But you can get a lot of mileage for ex- extended family with the third house. And some people might feel this more than others because a lot of people do have that floating IC in the third house. So mm. just keep that in mind. Yeah. No, I'm glad you made that point because, you know, even, well, going back to what you were saying earlier too about this, this earth triple zero, this angular triad um, being like being flanked by what are considered the most feminine planets in the Western tradition the third house, you know, in like Greek is called the goddess. Um, the Greek word for that is Thea. Funny enough, I'm having dinner tonight with a friend named Thea tonight. My only friend named Thea. And um, I'm definitely going to tell her about this. But um, Thea means, yeah, again, means goddess. Also means can be translated to divine. And the Demetra George article I referenced earlier talks a lot about the moon goddess Selene. But I, I did my own research on Thea because I was very curious to see if there was an, an actual goddess named Thea or if Thea was um, a term that was just kind of broadly used, like if it literally translated as goddess um, in the same way we use it today. The answer is both. <laughs> um, 
there is a goddess in Greek mythology named Thea, um, who was a Titan and was the daughter of Uranus and Gaia and was married to her brother Hyperion and ended up having three children, which, which who were Helios, the sun, Selene, the moon, and then Eos, dawn. And um, she was sometimes referred to as Thea of many names. And so that leads me to think that um, she she was an archetype for all of these mother goddess archetypes. Like she, so she, in some ways, like, yeah, Thea really could have been broadly used as goddess, but sometimes also was referring to this very specific goddess. I think that some of the points you were making earlier about the third house just being, it c- could be all extended family. Siblings is the one you hear the most third house, but it really mm-hmm. could be other than the third house. But you see siblings come up so much in the mythology around Thea. Um, for one, her like she, her most famous children were the sun and the moon riding chariots around the earth. Um, even one of the um, the origin stories of how the sun and the earth came to rotate um, on chariots around um, like that um, came from the, the like. Let me try to be as short as possible on this, but. Thea and Hyperion had these children and were doing really well. And it seemed like their other, apparently their other siblings were very, very jealous of (laughs) their success. And so these siblings ended up murdering um, Helios and Selene and throwing, or Helios first and then threw him in the river. Selene ended up drowning, trying to save him. Um, And, you know, she was obviously, Thea was grieving, but Helios comes back to say like, don't worry. Like, we're going to be back and we're going to be immortal. And yeah, and that's how they ended up being in, like in the sky, just like eternally rotating around the earth. Um, yeah. So anyway, there's a lot of myths around Thea as well as, and then of course, Celine around um, that I think just <laughs> are very, very fitting for the third house. Um, but it's also just really... There are also just hella Greco-Roman <laughs> gods and goddesses associated with the moon. And I, um, it's really not even just, it's not even just Thea and Selene. So, um, but I'll just kind of stop there in terms of just the mythology, because I'm sure it'll also come up as we're talking about the different meanings of the third house. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I love that you brought up the mythology. Um I don't know why, but like the river piece um, really stood out to me because one thing I think about with like the moon is um, for some reason I think about like things like rivers, like certain bodies of water, like rivers and ponds, like, you know, not these grand bodies of water, but these smaller ones, especially because like if you think about a lot of um, civilizations and cities, a lot of them are by major bodies of water, um, especially like rivers, because that was an important um mode of like trade um and communication and like just facilitating the movement of things and people which i think will uh kind of get us into some of the third house meanings so like i love how like in our notes we have the short distance travel piece and one thing Mm -hmm. that i realize i wish people would realize about all of the um cadent houses is that they do imply movement and the need for relocation or travel I feel like that's less apparent with the sixth house and the third house but I feel like it's more talked about Mm. with like the 12th and ninth houses because they involve these like really really long journeys like 
Whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, with the ninth house, it's more of like a deliberate, like a deliberate journey that's meant to like connect you with something larger than yourself. Um, The 12th house journey is often one of like, you know, exile, maybe retreating from harmful um, situations or um, needing to isolate yourself or going somewhere estranged. Um, But people sleep on the travel significations of the third house um, and take for granted, like the amount of like moving around that we do um, even in our day to day, like, you know, you commuting, like a lot of people commute, like at least like an hour a day, like just one Mm -hmm. way. And that's, that's Mm -hmm. a form of like short distance travel. You know? And I think I think this is also a good area to point out that th- these are still cadent houses we're dealing with. And again, like I said, mm-hmm. these are the least bad of the cadent houses, but there is still a precariousness to them. And short and long distance travel are an excellent example of that. And it's it's funny that we tend to have more fear around long distance travel, right? Like people will be scared of plane rides and yet you will have a more likely chance of dying in a car crash. yeah I was gonna say that like in I don't know if you found this in your examples but in some of my examples I found a lot of um like the machinery part like the machinery piece it's like how you get around and like operating that being very relevant and I think it's interesting that in your notes you put that Helios and Selene both rode on chariots which you know in those times were like a huge you know mode of like transport right um yeah Mm -hmm. I it does come up in my examples I can't wait to jump into them um and I did want to go back to something you said earlier to the the word you use those like day-to-day travel and I think that's Mm -hmm. a good way to sum up a lot of the third house significations of it's the day-to-day and the routine um I, I would say the other signification that comes up very often with the third house is communication and mm-hmm. um and yeah i i do think though that third house communication does tend to be more of the routine and familiar communications versus like I, i've seen book writing come up more in the ninth house or some of these bigger writing projects right yeah you know what's interesting like i think also now that we're in a world of like content creation and what have you Mm -hmm. like you know what's interesting even in like my client work I've seen more um you know ninth house 11th house content creation versus third house yeah even though I would argue um you know third house does have a role especially if you're doing things like blogging but I think it also depends on the nature of the content because I feel like with the ninth house content creation it's like you're either um you know, building some kind of like immersive world experience online, or you're like, um, trying to teach somebody some important like treatise of, you know, philosophy or what have you. Whereas with the third house, it's more like, there's like more of like a practical application, maybe you're talking about current events, like you're talking about things that, you know, can be held within um, people's consciousness for like, a short amount of time, which can have more um, practical applications Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah on content to like on that one of the other associations of the third house um and the ninth right because again the third house is called the goddess and the ninth house is called god 
And so Mm -hmm. divination, spirituality, and those kind of topics will come up with both houses. But in terms of the distinction between the two, I'm, this is something I'm honestly still exploring because I like dreams come up a lot with the third house because of, I think the moon, it's definitely the moon's associations with the third house, Mm -hmm. especially with the goddess Celine and the dream oracles that were associated with her. Another phrase I'll hear, and this one, like, I I don't know if I, like, really are, like, women's spirituality will come up here, or uh, or even, you know, unconventional religion versus, is the third house, whereas, like, ninth house is conventional religion. I, I don't know how I feel about this one, but I have definitely noticed clergy are the ninth house, like, absolutely. And I, I almost wonder if, like, is the third house, like, the high priestess while the ninth house is more like the hierophant? You know, I, I like that you brought this up because I, it's not that I necessarily agree with it, but I think it has to do with, like, how Western culture has, um, I guess, like, molded itself around some of these, like, I'm mostly coming from, like, a Christian, um, like, viewpoint just because, like, that's, like, the religion that I was raised with, even though I don't practice anymore. Um, Just coming, Mm -hmm. just knowing that, like, a lot of Western Christian thought, even though this does, you know, a lot of these significations do predate that. um, How do I put this? It's, like, there is this um, dominant, organized, you know, religious... um, I guess, framework that people, and by people, I mean, like, Western society has just kind of put on this, like, has elevated, and you'll see that at various points in the tradition, it becomes more and more elevated, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Versus, um, you know, the folk, the local folk, because there's this element of familiarity that I feel lives in that third, fourth house that's mm-hmm. different from like mm-hmm. the foreign which i feel like is more 10th ninth house so it's like there's almost yeah. this um because even if you think about like the hellenistic you know pantheon like even though there are like main gods you know each um different like locale had its own version of interfacing with those gods and <clears throat> even in the you know the conquest of um other peoples there were certain myths that got created to describe so i'm thinking of like the myth of um medusa for example um they co-opted this myth that was like um because i'm trying to remember what amaya told me in uh one of my readings with her about uh, medusa as like a concept was that if you look at the history um Medusa was actually like a fertility goddess in some of the, you know, ethnic groups that were living in uh, like parts of Northern Africa at the time. Right. But then like when the Uh Greco-Roman peoples were conquering them, there was an element of like using that story to like describe the conquest of those people. Right. Because that was their, that was their goddess. So I think that there's always been this tension between, you know the gods of the pantheon which i would describe as the ninth right versus like the gods entities and what have you that 
um, maybe, you know, colonized, imperialized people who've been subjugated, like, tend to worship. And there's a reason that, you know, those forms of worship are underground, right? Mm-hmm. And you only mm-hmm. learn about them by, you know, having proximity to somebody who is initiated in those, like, traditions and someone who is, like, aware of, like, how to interface with those gods. But, like, I also think of, like, the what's become common in, like, I think this even extends to, like, how with the colonization of the Americas and the transatlantic slave trade, how a lot of the gods of various indigenous or African traditions have been syncretized with saints, especially in the Catholic tradition. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like you have Mm -hmm. that ninth house like structure that everybody's adhering to, but then you have the third house. Like this is how it's always been practiced on the low. And like, this is how we Mm -hmm. interface with these gods directly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like it's describing some of that. Like when I think of that axis, I think of that tension. Yeah. I, I like that. I I was absolutely, as you were talking, I definitely was thinking I was, I was raised Catholic. So I was definitely thinking about (laughs) how, um, you know, even even worship of the Virgin Mary is just has become mm-hmm. so tied to different um, like regions, whereas whether it's like a deity or, you know, that region's sighting of the Virgin Mary, um, that comes up a lot. And I also am thinking about how even just spirituality and like this discussion even ties in with just even some of this discussion we were talking earlier about short term versus local long term travel. And again, mm-hmm. I think the thing that common denominator just seems to be the familiarity versus the not as familiar, like your commute to church um, or wh- whatever place of worship week mm-hmm. by week, I think fits in the third house, whereas maybe a pilgrimage to Rome or Mecca yeah. is going to be very much ninth house. Literally, when I think of the ninth house and just thinking of the fact that is, you know, Ramadan for those who celebrate, um, I just think about, you know, the fact that not everybody is able to um, make that pilgrimage to Mecca. And, mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. people who, you know, are devout, all they have is, you know, their daily prayer and their daily, you know, ritual. And so, you know, it's like it's it's like that's important to them. And that's their way of interfacing with um, the gods. I also even think about like magic you know having no you know become friends with a lot of astromages as well like the differences between like the serial ceremonial magic and like talisman making which i feel is very ninth house right mm-hmm, you have to like mm-hmm. basically like be deep in the scripture right you know what i mean and like know like what certain astrological texts and principles mean but like you know, there's always a difference between theory and practice. And I'm also thinking about this, you know, in my life as a scientist, because it's like, mm-hmm. there's the, you know, the great theory of things, which is very ninth house, but then there's the actual day to day, like, how do we prove that this works, but also like, what are the practical applications of it, which are very third house. So, mm. yeah. hmm. I think one other note I wanted to make on terms of third house meanings and the third house's association with the moon is 
you know, in Alice Sparkly Cat's post-colonial astrology, their chapter on the moon was very interesting. And the whole book's worth reading. But this, they, they point out that the moon's association with femininity, with reproductive labor, with fertility has only really been explicitly tied um, to the moon and or the, the moon being defined as just like this femininity and this reproductive labor um, really is a very modern association and they point out just so many examples yeah. of how in the greco-roman tradition the moon really was all bodies not just women's bodies um, and so i i think it's a very interesting point to make because it's like it's not that the moon isn't fertility and reproductive labor it's just that it's also more than just women's bodies too it really is like all our bodies and i think that um this comes up a little bit later in our notes but i think it's worth mentioning now the fact that the moon is associated so much with the the with fortune versus the sun's association with fate which again is also you can see in that third house ninth house dichotomy yeah and i think again i want to reiterate to people who are in the western tradition the moon is the body. The moon is the body. The moon is the body. The sun is the soul. Okay? <laughs> know this. <laughs> Just know this. Please. Get this through your brain. Moon body, sun spirit. Okay. Cool. Great. <laughs> yes. I mean, for those folks, again, for those folks who study the Western traditional, especially the Hellenistic tradition, the law of fortune, the lots of fortune and spirit are derived from the distance between the sun and the moon applied to the ascendant. And uh, the lot of fortune is supposed to signify everything material. And again, that's a physical body, <laughs> as well as things like cultivating the land or material wealth versus the lot of spirit um, is so much more about like, this. it's the soul, it's your, um, it's your drive. And um, your, that's why career will fall into the lot of this, a lot of spirit, because it really is just like your effort and intent toward career as well as like other aspects of your life. Um, but yes, the body, the moon, the moon is the body. We will keep repeating yes. that throughout um, this podcast. And literally, and I, I feel like that's captured in like Valen's statements on the moon. So like, I'll just like read parts of the excerpt, but the first thing that he literally says, the moon lit by the reflection of the sun's light and possessing a borrowed light in a nativity indicates man's life body. And then I'm going to stop there before he gets into all these other significations but the idea is that we are like you know burning like souls in a like encased in a meat suit right so it's like the sun which is supposed to be like the soul or the essence is like animating the meat suit or the material right um so that that's where that's why i really think of the borrowed light because it's like the moon just like we, you know, grow, change, and die, the moon does it, like, every 28 days or so. And so, like, the moon has become, like, a symbol for life cycles in general. And I, I agree, like, even though it's clear that there are, you know, conceptual, like, nurturing archetypes, it seems like there are also, like, other significations of the moon that are kind of just, like, ignored and slept on, you know? Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, another thing I wanted to say was that, like, 
I feel like one other more modern signification that I do feel is somewhat preserved in like the tradition is the association with like the neighborhoods and like the locale because you know one thing um you know um Valens does talk about is like you know you know the mistress of the house um possessions fortune the city the assembly of people um is associated with the moon uh and you know every time i think of the third house i also think about like local government for some reason i just can't help but think of like okay here's a community here's how it runs here are it's like needs and here is how it's supposed to um you know operate because it takes all these people to like keep the city up and running right yes um, i'm very yeah. glad you brought that up because i have noticed when um when it comes to people running for office uh, the 10th house obviously comes up no matter what because it's a 10th house like you're doing something extremely public but for the folks who are running for a more local office versus president <laughs> I have seen the third house come up a lot. Yeah, I mean, even in elected officials, like, period. Third house, like, yeah. luminaries, I've seen pretty commonly. So um, I do have a couple of presidents as examples with third house moves. Yes. So, <laughs> oh, my God. I saw I saw your notes. I'm very excited to hear you talk about them. Um, I Before we jump into the examples, I did want to address the question. Not that I think this is a controversy i've not i've yet to see this one pop up on astro twitter thank god but you know what but the question does come up of like why doesn't mercury join the third house then if communicate the third house is communication and mercury signifies communication and divination um oh my god good fucking question and you know what um according to some people uh so thoth um the greek god uh, was initially syncretized with the moon in some, I guess in some traditions there was like a lunar component to Thoth, but um, there were also mercurial elements. So, and what's interesting is that the moon and Mercury do have some overlapping significations. So like people who do trade and um, exchanges or like wander on these journeys are associated with lunar figures. And if you look at some texts like the picatrix for example you'll see that like preserved it's like okay people who are like you know doing waterside trades or some shit ruled by the moon <laughs> um mm -hmm. not just um you know Merc whereas mercury was more of like the the scribe the calculator you know what i mean so like yeah there was secret it, it depended on like syncretization with certain gods and i think that um Something happened where, like, they just kind of got rid of the moon's signification of, like, you know, the communication. And you know what's funny? In the Vedic tradition, the moon is actually the mind. <laughs> so um, that's that's really that's really interesting to think about there. So um, I think it just it just like indicates like a change in like how the tradition related to certain concepts over time especially as like different people from different parts of the world were exchanging their astrologies I don't know. yeah i i'm glad I, I i didn't know that about thoughts i'm really glad you brought that up i think you're right on that the the moon it is worth noting the relationship as well as just the similarities between mercury and the moon um, even as planets right like both are very fast moving 
both have very quick phases or, you know, in Mercury's case, these retrograde cycles happen like, like clockwork. It's three times a year in the same um, element. Um, I think the both, both relation to our, our significations um, around divination are very fascinating to me. Like I had mentioned the moon's association with the high priestess earlier. And, you know, I had talked about the ninth house and the hierophant. Um, but, you know, the, the high priestess's um, primary counterpart in the Rider Wade deck is the is the magician and the magician's Mercury. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, but, you know, there's I, I, to me, I think one of my biggest takeaways from even just considering this question is that communication is both verbal and nonverbal. And I think Mercury can definitely encompass a lot of the verbal. The moon is going to very much be the nonverbal. And as someone with a first house moon, I have learned, I, I don't know why it took me so long to really learn this, but I, the one thing I have to really work on is like catching my nonverbal communication um, because several people have pointed out to me that my face says way more than my words sometimes and I don't even realize it. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking because, you know, like, I, I like that you brought up the uh, high priestess versus the magician. And I, I, I agree that, like, there's this verbal, less tangible component to what Mercury's trying to accomplish. Uh, whereas I feel like the moon has more of, like, this experiential quality. You know what I mean? It's like the difference between mm. tacit versus, like you know um tacit learning versus like you know like book learning it's like it's one thing to like follow a formula and like hear about something and try to make it happen which is what i feel like the magician mercury is all about whereas like the moon is more of that like feeling and knowing in your body and like the muscle memory so it's like i would say the difference between I don't know, um, watching like, uh, I don't know, something like the passion of the Christ to try to understand Jesus's plight or something, uh, <laughs> or, you know, going on an acid trip and like talking to Jesus yourself. I mean, that's the, that's the best way I can put it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, another way I would put that too, in just terms of the experiential learning is I was just talking to someone else on Astro Twitter about this or someone on Astro Twitter who was saying that they're really struggling with like activating their glutes because they're so quad dominant when it comes to working out. And I, when I thought about it, I really don't know how I would advise someone on how to do that. Cause I, I, I struggled with that problem for years and it really was just a matter of you just have to keep doing it. And one day it's just going to click. And unfortunately, all the articles that I read about like glute activation and the tips and stuff, I don't think, I don't think any, there was no magic formula to it. It really was just, there's just so much around when it comes to the, especially when it comes to the body and exercise is you just have to do. Yeah, exactly. Also, I will point out that like, if you think about Mercury's little glyph, it's like the little circle could be the sun. And then like the the little the little crescent on top is like the moon. And it's like there are all these little antennae like trying to suss out information. So make of that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
is there anything else you wanted to say about the the moon enjoying in the third house or do you want to go into examples um one thing i will say is like i, I say we should like um give a summary of like our like what we noticed with our trends but like one thing i will do is read um a little bit of what valen says about the place of the moon so valen says if the moon is in this place is assigned the ascendant or lot and is in its proper face the native will be great and a master of many good things he will rule a city he will give orders to many men he will be obeyed he, and he will be a master of, master of treasuries um, if the sun should also be in this place with the moon when the moon is just past new the native will be a priest or priestess of the great goddess and will have a give me a second i have to like go to the actual um <laughs> document and will have an unsurpassable livelihood uh i'm not going to read the rest of the significations but um that's just to give you an idea and so one thing that i did notice was um a lot of these people who have their moon rejoicing here especially the people who had the moon in its own decan um, had a lot of influence, a lot, a lot, a lot of influence, and groups were very important to them. That's like what I would say. Also, the concept of like fraternity and brotherhood, like people literally joining like secret societies and fraternities, like that was like a common. <laughs> it was a common theme. Like it was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I that definitely came up for a lot for me too. And now I'm just like, oh fuck, like I gotta. As we go through our examples, I have to keep in mind which ones are in the moon rule <laughs> decans. Um, I'm pretty sure too, even on the the valence on um, the valence uh, significations you just gave, I I'm, I'm almost positive I have a new moon example, but I can't remember who, so I'll have to just kind of. I do, through. I um, do, and you do. Mine is, <laughs> mine is okay. So the thing with mine was that I know it's like a DD rated chart because of the time is iffy, but I'm like, this person has two children with the moon and joy. And they have different oh. relationships to his legacy. And I was like, you can't make this shit up. I'm, I, I believe oh, this geez. chart. I believe I it. Love but it. we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> I think the other um, the other pattern I was seeing was um, just a lot around longevity and legacy, which you wouldn't think in, you know, with the moon, right? You, know, like you would think, no, oh, maybe the, those would be more Saturn or even like Jupiterian significations. But mm -hmm. I, I I was just like seeing that or like, the, and that this legacy often was kind of coming up even beyond like the life of the body, which um, I'm, I'm sure I'll unpack as I, it, as we go into each example. Um, yeah. yeah. I found that to be true too for my chart examples, more so when the ice you is also in the third house yes yeah um another final signification was people who were good at operating some kind of um mode of transport but no i did i did see not transport as much but transport ish i'll, I'll go into them as i see as i go through my examples um but yeah i um yeah i think those are kind of the main themes i saw Okay, cool, cool. So I'll let you start. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my first, so we're gonna like we did in the last episode, and we're gonna do in these continued episodes, we're gonna go through example charts where 
the moon is joying in the third house by and but we're going to go in the order of sign so this these first set of examples are going to start with aries so that's aries like moon in the third house and my first example is maximilian robespierre who was a jacobin very very instrumental in the french revolution who was on the committee of public safety which ironically led to a dramatic increase in executions under him. Um, this was also known as the Reign of Terror. He strongly advocated for Louis the Sixteenth um, to be executed, who is also another example I will mention later. He does also have Moon in his joy, and he. The other thing about Maximilian Robespierre is he he was he founded a deist cult of the called cult of the Supreme Being, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> He threw a, like, of course, when he got into power, right, he threw a festival for this um, called Festival of the Cult of the Supreme Being. And witnesses, this is a quote from the wiki, but witnesses stated that throughout the festival, he beamed with joy and was able to speak of the things about which he was truly passionate, including virtue, nature, deist beliefs, and his disagreements with atheism. He dressed elaborately, wearing feathers on his hat and holding fruit and flowers in his hands, and walked first in the festival procession. According to Michelet, Robespierre, as usual, walked quickly and with an agitated air. <laughs> you could tell he was clearly in his element <laughs> when he was running this like festival of the cult of the Supreme Being. It was actually his very, very first public appearance in some ways as a public figure like that has rose that rose up in power after in the midst of the french revolution um but you know he his downfall started with cutting wages of workers um his moon does rule the sixth house this sparked massive protest and eventually led to his arrest and his execution and as i was saying earlier on my point about the legacy like long beyond you know death of the body um he he was he influenced revolutionaries like lenin lenin actually erected a statue of robespierre so um yeah that would that's my area's example jesus christ that's that's really intense doesn't he have his moon in like the the third decan of Aries. Yes, which again, this is a propaganda decan, right? So it worked for him for a time. <laughs> it really, really did. Like he's very he very well could be one of the reasons why Louis the Sixteenth got executed, because he really had in his speeches around like in support of the execution, they were uh, they really set the tone for oh the rest God. of the trial. So I'm not gonna do my Aries example because like I couldn't find anything in the bio that was like hitting me right so yeah we can go to Taurus okay I um have my Taurus example is Demi Moore she has her moon in the second decan she actually has a, she was born on a full moon and this moon is ruled by Venus retrograde in Scorpio in the ninth house conjoined to her sun so it's a combust retrograde Venus in Scorpio <laughs> She's, you know, she's actually had huge film success. Um, and we, we, we perhaps we forget about this now that because that was it was quite some time ago now, but her, she had the breakthrough role in Ghost and Ghost was the highest grossing film of that year. And she became the highest paid actress when she got $12.5 million to star in striptease. That amount of money was unheard of at the time. And again, this makes me think of the moon's ties with fortune. She's 
she she was known for you know sexy roles and for posing nude in Vanity Fair when she was seven months pregnant. But she's also really known for, and she's also known for aging really, really well. But she, again, her moon rules the fifth house, and all the things I had just mentioned are very fifth housey things. But she also has a lot of diversity in the roles that she plays, such as she played, she was in G.I. Jane, and she was also in The Scarlet Letter. <laughs> so she did some period pieces too, and which I think is a testament to some of the moon's versatility. And I, I wanted to note too that when she did that pregnant photo shoot for Vanity Fair, she was in a fifth house perfection year and was seven months pregnant with her second um, <laughs> daughter, I believe. Yeah, daughter. Yeah. But that's my Taurus moon or example. She was going to be one of my examples um, because she actually has like four planets in joy. Holy it's actually shit. I, how did I not realize like, that? She's got Mars in her sixth house. She's got. She's got Mars and Leo in the sixth, Sun and Scorpio in the ninth, Saturn and Aquarius in the twelfth. So um, we can get a lot of mileage out of Demi Moore's chart. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, we are gonna get to know her bio and her life so well. It's like her and George W. Bush is the other one, right? That ha- he has a lot of planets in their joy. Literally, it's great stuff. <laughs> Okay, should I go into my Gemini example? Because I think we only have one as well, and it's mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do Gemini. So this is Gemini Moon in the third house. My example is Diane um, Feinstein, who has the moon in the third decan of Gemini, ruled by Mercury and Cancer, where her she has a big Cancer stellium. Actually, I had quite a few examples with Cancer stellium. Anyway, at 88 years old, she is the oldest sitting senator and the longest serving California senator and the longest serving female senator. (laughs) She was um, mayor of San Francisco for 10 years, speaking of local elected officials. And the thing she was most known for and most successful in was renovating San Francisco's iconic cable cars. And she finished this project during a fourth house year, which is the her moon rules at the fourth house. So this is a fourth house uh, moon year for her. She, you know, at a time, I think it was around 2003, maybe for a little longer, she was the fifth wealthiest senator um, because, you know, she was married to an investment banker. <laughs> so she, she is quite healthy, wealthy, but it seems like it's, I think, mostly through marriage yeah um another thing i did notice about some of my later examples was that a lot of them did um end up marrying people who were really wealthy or influential like that like even though um the moon wasn't necessarily ruling the seventh house like that was still a thing that um did come up in my examples so it was interesting yeah i don't have any gemini examples um i have cancer examples though i have a few (laughs) well actually i have one that i want to talk about in depth but i will like rattle off the names of like some celebrities people might recognize that have the placement because there were i found that there were too many so i was like let me not talk about them (laughs) (laughs) go for it okay Okay, so my example is President Ulysses S. Grant. He has a third decan Cancer Moon conjunct his IC. He was the 18th president of the United States, and he's most known for being president during Reconstruction post-Civil War. And what's interesting is that he advanced civil services more than any other president. And despite people not liking how he was giving 
um, positions to um, some African Americans and Jews in um, certain uh, cabinet spots or something like that. Um, he was still reelected for a second term, uh, even though some of his own party turned on him to try to get him replaced. So one thing about him was that he did come from a family of privilege. So his father was like a well-known merchant and tanner. Um, so I guess people who make leather, right? And he didn't want to do that, but he had good skills riding horses. So one thing his father would make him do when he was a teenager was to transport supplies to people and also like basically chauffeur people around like it was Uber or something, but like you know, 1800s, right? <laughs> um, so what's interesting is that his father's influence as a merchant actually helped him score a position at West Point Academy, even though he wasn't really keen on the uh, military. And he joined this like really secret fraternity um, uh, where he was like well-regarded. Um, so during his military career, what was interesting was that given his position, um, he was able to become a great tactician because he learned how much the daily operations, so like how materials were used, which trade routes they were going on, the transportation of like those goods and people could make or break a war campaign, whether you were going on the offensive or not. And it was less on the violence. And so it was that that made him a good um basically a war hero during both the Mexican-American War as well as um, the Civil War. But he struggled a lot with um, civilian life, which, you know, is going back to his um, Cancer Moon in the third decade of Cancer, which will remind you of the Four of Cups, right? But it wasn't until, like, he finally, like, swallowed his pride and, like, went back to his dad's, like, tannery where he was able to pay off a lot of his debts that he accrued between like the Mexican American war and the civil war when he was not, you know, serving actively um, that allowed him to become an esteemed resident of his like um, local area. And then like, what's funny is that when he died, like he, again, like after he was like diagnosed with throat cancer and he, um, you know, was like, basically dying and like he was worried about leaving his wife money like he wrote a book he wrote a memoir about his like time during war and you know it made a shit ton of money for him and his wife and she inherited like the equivalent of i guess 13 million dollars today like in today money so <clears throat> yeah that that's his bio um also a bunch of celebs that you guys will notice like that are very popular or like memeable, like so Ruby Rose, Robert Pattinson, Connor McGregor, literally all have Cancer Moon in the third house. <laughs> so um yeah. I I have a quick example for cancer, um, for Cancer Moon. Um, is Steve Forbes has his also in Deccan three, um, conjoined to the sun. So this is a new moon example. And Venus and Mercury retrograde are also present. So lots and lots of cancer placements. He um, is the grandson of Forbes founder, BC Forbes. So obviously very, very wealthy and privileged. But I, I, I wanted to mention him because he's the first. So he, he tried to run for president twice under the Republican Party. But of course, you have to go through the primaries first to be chosen for as a primary candidate. And he never, he never made it past the primaries. Um, but he was the very first presidential candidate ever to announce his um, 
candidacy on the internet <laughs> in March 1999. And it's something we take for granted now because everyone, like on top of having to do your press conference, like of course you have to come up with your announcement on all social media platforms, on your campaign <laughs> website. Like all of that has to be up and running, you know, and ready to go when you publicly announce. And the other thing too about Steve Forbes was he has one of the had one of the most expensive primary campaigns in history and claimed it was all his own money because again very very privileged and wealthy so he could use his own money um he didn't win either way though which i'm sure i'm sure we could look at other parts of his chart for why but um i'm sure it's not the end of the world for him because again he is still very very wealthy and privileged (laughs) Oh my God. So it was him we can blame for the fact that Trump thought, okay, let's like run for president. I'm a billionaire. Him and uh, Ross Perot, who also did the same thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yep. It was just only the beginning. <laughs> God damn it. Um, okay. So I don't have any more cancer examples. So we're going to go to Leo. <clears throat> and the two examples that I have are really interesting. So one is Louis Tomlinson, who was a part of One Direction. Uh, So he has his moon in the second decan of uh, Leo. And what's interesting is that I remember, you know, being a One Direction fan, he was probably one of the weaker vocalists of the group. And it's funny how, like, it just seemed like he was writing the coattails vocally of what the other guys were doing. Because, like, I would say maybe Harry, Zayn, and Liam carried the group vocally. Uh, whereas you know Louis and Niall it's not that they're not great vocalists but in terms of like who got the most lyrics and who got the most lines like you know those two necessarily weren't um and that was like a little less true once Zane left but even so what's interesting about Louis though is that he actually um was working behind the scenes so this goes into cancer ruling the 12th right um Sorry, no, sorry. One of my brain's not working. I'm thinking of the next set of examples. But, you know, the um, the moon ruling the second, um, he was actually the songwriting force behind the guys, right? So, like, it, it was him writing the songs, and he had the most um, songwriting credits than anyone else in the group. And what's interesting is that he was discovered on the X Factor, and he actually had a few unsuccessful runs on the X Factor, like before he was paired with One Direction. But um, he did come back to X Factor to act as a judge, but also a vocal coach. Um, Jessie J has a similar trajectory, but she was in like a um, girl band that didn't go anywhere, unlike Louis, who had the successful, um, you know, boy band. Um, But she has her moon in the first decade, and it's ruled by an 11th house son in Aries. And so what's interesting is that she went to this school and like she had sisters who were older than her who were like, you know, they were head girls who were like had stellar academic performance and people like projected all of her sisters like success onto her. They're like, why aren't you like that? And it's like they were picking apart at her. Right. But um, a lot of her early success as a singer actually comes from um, writing songs for other singers. And she, like Louie, is also a vocal coach judge on another like talent show. But in her case, it's um, The Voice UK. So I thought it was interesting that there were two people with like that same configuration. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, I think this really, the, the you know, to have Moon and Leo joining in the third house means, you know, you're Gemini rising. So this also definitely, this is a reminder of that. This is the fact that you had these two, like, really good songwriters. Um, my only quick example for Moon and Leo in the third house is Neil Gaiman, and who has Moon in the first decade of Leo, ruled by the sun in Scorpio in the sixth house. And again, this one's also another writer, but not a songwriter. He, but one of his most famous books is American Gods, which is now a TV show. I thought this one was just very, very literal in terms of just the third house significations of being the goddess and how actually a lot of the, um, you know, the premise of the show is that there's old gods, the old gods are dying and being defeated by new gods and by new <laughs> gods. Like when you think old gods, you're thinking of like the Greek Roman pantheon, as well as just some other traditions, whereas the new gods are things like American materialism and, you know, it's like wealth and lust and just some of these other new vices. <laughs> so, um, yeah, anyway, I thought that one was just very, very literal. Wow. No, I, I love that it's coming back to his... Um his moon in the uh, first decan. Like that feels very loud to me. Yes. Yeah. Actually, yeah. No, that's very, very fitting. <laughs> okay. So like hopping to Virgo, um, this is like nice because um, when you have um, the moon in Cancer, sorry, no, brain, you have the moon in Virgo uh, rejoicing in the third, it means you have a Cancer rising. So this is you, your chart ruler, right? And so um, one of my examples is actually Leo Tolstoy, who has the DD rated time, but two of his kids literally have this configuration. So I can't ignore it. Like, it just feels so loud to me. And then like, when you read his bio, it just makes sense. So what's interesting is that, if you remember what I was saying when we opened the episode about... <clears throat> The third house describing what comes before like your family, so like extended family, maybe certain elements of ancestry. So he comes from a noble Russian family who traced their lineage to a mythical noble from a foreign land. And it's not that like this person wasn't a real person, but like the records of them are kind of spotty. Um, but anyway, like somebody in the family because of this person's existence was basically given like a title and became a noble. And so was able to enjoy a lot of privilege. And what's interesting is that if you remember what I was saying about the moon being new, but like slightly past full, sorry, slightly past new. Um, so gaining light. Um, if you look at his chart, he has the moon in that third decan of um, Virgo. And then he has the sun and Mercury in the second decan of Virgo. So like Mercury is sandwiched between the luminaries. Um, so that's really interesting. And one thing about his bio is that both of his parents died when he was pretty young. So he was raised by relatives. Um, and again, being in a pr privileged position, like he quit his um, law studies. And uh, w what was interesting is he was studying law and Eastern languages. And he decided, fuck this, I don't want to do it. So he went back to his birthplace, like literally the home where he was born, and started writing. And it was when he served in the Crimean War in the 1850s and did some tours of Europe in the 1860s that he was inspired to write some of his greatest works like War and Peace. Um, but it also informed a lot of his political um, thinking. And so when he came back to Russia, he founded 13 schools for children who were 
recently released from serfdom, but um, there were some people who tried to shut his schools down. So he ended up not like being able to maintain all of them, but still like I thought it was an interesting manifestation of some of those placements. And when we talk about his children, like um, you'll see how different kids responded differently to, you know, parts of his legacy. Um, another example I have is Carla Bruni, you know, um, the supermodel. We all know her as the supermodel slash like um, former president of France, Nicolas Sarkozy's wife. So again, somebody who like being married to someone with lots of privilege who held political office, like literally. Um, but what's interesting is that she is actually the product of an affair, but she's still so like she's not the biological uh, daughter of her, her like legal father, but she's still an heiress to his, um, the fortune earned from his father's um, tire company. But what's interesting is that her biological father is actually like some like grocery store chain mogul in Brazil or some shit, which is crazy. Um, what's interesting is that she was one of the highest grossing models, but in 1997, I'm not sure what perfection year that would be for her. She left her position as one of the highest grossing supermodels to devote herself to music. And so she has surprised people with like how good her albums are. And a lot of them incorporate some of her own songwriting along with um, poems from legendary figures like, um, Emily Dickinson and things like that um, set to music. So it's it's really interesting. These are all such really good <laughs> examples. Um, but even though, with the Leo Tolstoy one, I think it's hilarious that he has this Mercury and Virgo sandwiched between this like moon and its joy and the sun. Um, everything finally is like his, his Mercury is the final dispositor of his entire chart. But I think it's funny that war and peace is like, it, it's become that running joke of like, when you think of like a really, really large book, um, mm-hmm. it, it, slash placeholder slash it's like war and peace constantly gets referenced as like a really, really, really gigantic long book. <laughs> um, and it's his, one of his, I, I would say it's arguably his most famous work. Um, but yeah, my my only example for um, the Virgo moon in the third house is a very quick one. It's Alexis de Tocqueville, who was a political scientist and writer. Um, his his moon is in the second decan of Virgo, ruled by Mercury and Leo in the second house. But he is most known for writing Democracy in America. So basically what had happened, he's French, um, if you couldn't tell by the name. And he traveled all through the U.S. to observe and write about its democracy, its prisons, and other things. And he did this, like, I actually really don't remember. It was either before or right at the beginning of the French Revolution. So he was seeing this trip as a way of, like, oh, like, Amer- like uh, or no, 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 hold on. Yes, yes, actually, no, that's right. Um he, yeah, he kind of saw it as like, yeah, he wanted to really observe how democracy in America was really working. And what ended up resulting from this text is to this day, it's become a really major primary source for what the early, you know, post-American Revolution days were like for the United States. Like, I, I, I would see Tocqueville constantly quoted when I would read history text. But it just fits, to me, it just seems like it really, really fits with on one hand, he was doing this very ninth house travel. But on the other hand, he really was like he was really trying to visit like local neighborhoods and cities and communities. Like he really wanted to see what like the day to day life 
in the United States was like. That's like really interesting, um, especially because in some of my like previous and other examples, like there's that connotation of like, oh, like I traveled somewhere, had this experience, must write about it. Like that's so loud. <laughs> Good point. I don't have any more Virgo examples, so we can jump to Libra if you're ready. Yes, I'm ready. Okay, so I've got a two-parter because it's a father-son duo. And um, again, we're back with America's favorite war criminal, George W. Bush. But guess what? His father, George H.W. Bush, has the exact same placement. They both have Libra moons in the third house. But um, George H.W. has his in the third decan um, with Saturn, and it's ruled by a 12th house Cancer Venus, whereas uh, George W. Bush, so Jr., has it in the second decan, ruled by Venus and Leo, and his is conjunct Jupiter and Chiron. So if you look at H.W., um, he comes from a long line of privilege. His paternal grandfather was literally an executive of a company specializing in making railroad parts. Hilarious. He went to this prestigious academy where he was president of a senior class, captain of the football and soccer team. He's president of a fundraising group. Um, and the one thing I found interesting about his bio, just for the fact that he has the moon and joy in an air sign, was that he was an aviator pilot during World War II, and he was actually one of the youngest ones. Um, he had a mission in 1944 where he was attacking uh, Wake Island in Japan. Um, and his plane was downed, but he ended up surviving. And that mission to, you know, prevent Japan from maintaining its hold over one of the islands um, in the Pacific um, was successful. So he ended up getting an award for it, actually. Um, let's see. And also one thing that I was getting from his bio was that despite um, him not having the most successful um, election campaigns at different levels of office, even though he was successful in getting elected for one term. The Democrats were worried about him because like, he was actually a very likable person, right? Not only that, but you know, the Democrats early on in his political career actually reached out to him to run for them, but like he decided against it um, just because he was like, he felt like they were too big government. So there you go. Um, meanwhile, Junior followed in his footsteps a little bit. Um, so, you know, again, also went to Yale, participating in similar activities. They went to the same fraternity, were part of the same secret society. And I believe just like his father, he was also a um, president of the same fraternity. Um, he also flew planes like his father, but as a reservist and ended up being able to draft, you know, dodge the draft to Vietnam, like many other people. But what's interesting is that he describes his own life before his 40s as being nomadic, especially because before that, like, he had issues with drinking and driving, and, like, he ended up getting a DUI, but, like, again, because he's privileged, not getting in trouble for it. <laughs> so um, it's just interesting how, like, it's him, like, like you could see like the fact that they have this planetary joy um, playing out in a certain way that he's literally trying to, I guess, live up to the expectations set by his father. Like not necessarily that his father wanted that for him. Um, but yeah. And I think that there's also like just knowing in that family, like a lot of his other siblings have either ran or tried like successfully or tried to run for public office. So for the longest time, his brother Jeb was governor of, uh, Florida. George Bush himself was governor of Texas. So like, um, you know, just shit like that. 
Um, oh, also, my other Libra example is Alexandra um, Tolstaya. So um, the youngest daughter of Leo Tolstoy. She was very close to her father and she was actually made the executor of his will. And what's interesting is that she, after the Bolshevik re- revolution, she worked to preserve her father's teachings and writings. And, you know, at some point in 1929, she was allowed to leave the Soviet Union to teach Russian and about her father's work. Um, And she was able to use this as a bridge to get to other countries, such as the U.S., where she eventually settled and became a citizen. So I just thought it was interesting that, you know, she kind of used her travels to, like, teach her father's legacy, but also to, like, I guess, facilitate her exile from, um, you know, the new um, Soviet Union. So... Yeah, I loved all of your examples. The George W. and George H. W. examples. I mean, I mean the fact that they even have the same names, like geez. But um, my my only um, Libra example um, is a quick one. And Gustav Eiffel has um, his moon in Libra in um, the second decan. and it's ruled by Venus and Capricorn, which is in the third decan conjoined to Neptune. He's most famous for designing the Eiffel Tower. Um, but one thing people don't know about him is that he actually made had some major contributions to the field of aerodynamics, which I think can fit with the, some of those third house significations. And um, the fact that his career was so bolstered by the Industrial Revolution, like a lot of people think, like, I, 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 we don't know, if, like the Eiffel Tower definitely, but I think just his career as a whole really wouldn't have been possible um, without the industrial revolution and what came with the industrial revolution was not just like materials and parts but also just like increased like transportation and stuff too right so um so yeah that was my example no that's that's really impressive like i don't know what it is about like like some of the um air moons like with the third house moon but just like third house placement people like and making contributions to like transport whether it's like people things or like how we just get around like it's crazy do you want to kick us off with the scorpio example yeah so i will just share like my main example that i researched very well so will ferrell the comedian uh, i was surprised by this one because i don't really think of him as having scorpio placements but his moon is in the third decan of Scorpio conjunct Neptune, and it's ruled by a second house Libra Mars. And so what surprised me was that he was actually like kicker and captain of his high school's varsity football team. And before he did comedy, he was actually on track to be in sports broadcasting. Like, I was surprised by that. Like, I, I just thought, oh, okay, he's a funny guy. But um he got into comedy when he realized that he could make people laugh by doing dumb shit to himself like you know so smashing his head against the locker and he said like it's because he felt like very bored and safe in suburbia and so it felt like he had no sense of like this is dangerous i should not do this so he would like basically do a lot of really stupid shit but what was more fun was that he used to work you know some random jobs prior to comedy and so he was a valet and he ended up damaging cars scorpio moon (laughs) in the third being you know depressed but then as a bank teller he would make clerical errors and stuff um 
And then he was also a part of an SNL revival in the mid-1990s um, when the show was starting to lose viewership. And he is, like, at some point um, in, like, 2015 when they ran a poll, he was considered to be one of the best cast members of all time. So I thought that that was really interesting. That's, uh, um, I mean, the, I, I wouldn't have thought associated Scorpio placements with Will Ferrell either, but now as you were talking and the more I think about it, no, he, he very much is a Scorpio moon. <laughs> he's, we don't really know very much about his private life. Like, did you know that he's been married to the same woman since I think, um, let me look this up real quick. 2000. He's been married to a Swedish actress since 2000 and they have what? three kids together. It's like, what? I had never ever had heard no of her. Idea. Had no idea. <laughs> exactly. That's so Scorpio Moon. Um, wow. Actually, I'm also just reading now, and now I'm wondering what perfection year he was in, but um, I also didn't realize he was in a very serious car accident where his SUV flipped over in 2018, um, but he was completely unhurt in it. <laughs> Even though Wait other people involved were injured. How old is he now? Oh, um, he is 54 now. Well, he was born in July 1967. 2018. April 2018 was when the accident had happened. Ooh, uh, he would have been... He would have been 50, right? When that accident happened? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, isn't yeah. that a third house wow. perfection year? <laughs> yes! Oh my god, crazy. Crazy. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Jesus, that's that's wow. But no, like I I just think that it's funny that he has like all this bad luck with cars and I feel like that's like some of the moon being unhappy, but also the third house ruler being unhappy. So, I mean, there is that. One of his most I mean, he has a lot of roles. Like he's 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 pretty prolific actor, but one of his most um Actually, two of his most famous, I think, fit in the third house. One is Anchorman, right? He's yes. This, he's this local Anchorman in San Diego. And then the third, another one's Talladega Nights, where he's a race car driver. Yes! Also yes! <laughs> I think of, like, fucking Ricky Bobby all the time, literally. <laughs> like, that's what I think of when I think of Will Ferrell. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I, I, there are some of the jokes in there, like the like. Why does he have two first names? Like, I will think that every time I meet someone with two first names like that. Yeah. Um. So, do we want to go to Sag now? I I want to give my one quick Scorpio Moon example, and that's Louis the Sixteenth, because and I want to mention him because like I gave Maximilian Robespierre as an example earlier for Aries. But yeah, Louis the Sixteenth, who you know is the last monarch of France. He was the king when the French Revolution broke out, and he was executed. But he has his moon in Scorpio in the first second of Scorpio, which when you think of the um, the card associated with this, it's pretty funny. Isn't isn't this one called the Lord of Disappointment? Yes. Um, but <laughs> he and it's ruled by his Mars and Virgo in the first house. But his downfall, yeah, his downfall in the French Revolution was the French Revolution. I think it's really funny that one of the rallying cry, you know, the rallying cry had been, you know, liberty, um, equality, and fraternity. <laughs> um, and just a lot of, I mean, the fact that just a, quite a few of my examples have been the French Revolution is just, anyway. Um, so, but yeah, I do, uh, you know, I... 
the fact that yeah his chart's very interesting it's just one of those ones i want to sit down one day and unpack of just because he has a lot of good things he's seemingly good things going on in his chart and maybe that is just a reflection of the fact that he was born into so much in privilege and wealth but you know he was still executed the one thing i found really interesting was even in the contemporary times there was a lot of sympathy for him around his execution and a lot of it did actually um really um demoralize the french people and um and made people less sympathetic toward the revolutionaries. Um, but I do think it's really funny that that sympathy exists today around his execution. Like, do you remember Coldplay came out with that song Vita, Viva La Vida? Yes, and it's about, like, Louis the Sixteenth. Like, it's, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's great. Like, I, I love it. I love it. Um, I don't have anything else to say for Scorpio. Um, but... I do have um, a very funny Sag, um, Sag third house moon example, and it's it's very funny. Um, so Rachel Dolezal, everybody's favorite black <laughs> fisher, um, has her Sagittarius moon in the first decan, um, ruled by a tenth house Jupiter and Cancer on the midheaven, <laughs> um, <laughs> and her moon is actually conjunct Mercury. Um, Mercury, who's in its own decan, and I, th- I thought it was interesting because, so something that I noticed with her, like reading her bio, is that she would take certain parts of her life or certain parts of like stories about like things that happened before she was born, so like things that happened, you know, to her parents before like she was born, and like embellish them as truths about her own life. So, for example, she her parents like way before she was born lived in a teepee for a while for like something they were doing and she said oh when i would like to claim like native ancestry she would say oh like i lived in a teepee with my parents growing up and they've had to come out and deny her story and then so something that i thought was interesting and i didn't know this about her was that her parents actually adopted um black children i think some from haiti and some from like um I don't remember which country in Africa, but um, so some of her siblings were adopted like from foreign countries. And I'm thinking about the fact that the moon is conjunct Mercury, who's L9, but also L12. And her parents and some of her siblings did um, uh, missionary work in, um, in South Africa. And she would take some of their stories and weave them into stories about her own life to just kind of like establish some of her cred as like a real black person who is down for like, you know, the plight of black people, right? Like she would do that. And so that's something that I thought was really interesting, like reading her bio. Um, But on top of that, she was somebody who was like, you know, very good at school. So like, I mean, that doesn't surprise me, but no, I just thought that that was really interesting of her. And, you know, she managed to get herself into like influential positions within certain local chapters of the NAACP, like just running off of these, like, you know what I mean? Just by like infiltrating these like groups and using proximity to like, you know, actual black people in her life. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, she continues to fascinate me, but like not in a good way. Um mm-hmm. my my, <laughs> my Sag Moon example has similar threads, but very, very different person. So I I I um Yoko Ono 
was my example. She has this Sag moon, but in the second decan, and it's ruled by Jupiter retrograde in Virgo in the twelfth house. Like Jesus, <laughs> like it's a debil- debilita- very debilitated Jupiter. Um, first of all, I had no idea she's still alive. I was very <laughs> surprised. She's she's quite old. Um, and she's unfairly known for breaking up the Beatles to this day, right? Like people will still like refer to anyone who like like negatively impacts their part or you know is perceived to be negatively impacting their partner's performance as a Yoko Ono. Um, mm-hmm. And she, um, yeah, I think that that that, that association is very very unfair and unfortunately still continues today. And her merit you know she was so this comes because she was she she was married to john lennon and um she they both had united and gone together around very similar worldviews and politics they had initially met or i don't know if it's like their first time meeting or it's like definitely their first time starting to get together was he attended um she was she's an artist and a singer and songwriter in her own right but she did a conceptual art exhibit that in his view was like, he was like, wow, I really like that this is positive because every time I see conceptual art, it's it tends to be anti everything and not positive at all. So that's where I think some of this Sag Moon kind of really comes in with Yoko mm-hmm. Ono is she's to this day, she's still a big peace activist. Um, and she's very much about that, but there is there is for sure that good vibes only vibe prior to good vibes only even becoming a popular slogan. Um, that's very much Yoko Ono, and um, and yeah, I think slowly though, I think she is over time. She has become like more recognized as like an artist um, in her own right, but she yeah it is it is really unfortunate just the characterization of like oh like she she's the one who broke up the Beatles mm-hmm. yeah no that's interesting so I, I thought it was interesting you brought up the pacifism because I remember like in some of my other examples like um Leo Tolstoy has his moon here and he was like very like anti-war conflict right um what's interesting is that even ulysses s grant like he didn't like he didn't like war he didn't like conflict even though he was always like in the military right i mean there's other parts of his chart that probably explain that like having else you know l like what l8 in the first like i mean probably but like i mean it's interesting how like a lot of people with the moon in the third just kind of want to create community and build community like they're not necessarily like keen on conflict even if they happen to be in it right yeah even the ones like who are like Robespierre and this is just so telling of him having moon and Aries in the third house um he was literally on something called the committee for public safety and unfortunately went about it by just executing people he thought were unsafe, but he really was coming at it with this mindset of like, this is for the greater good, this is going to keep everyone in France safe. Jesus, taking it a little too far, a little too far. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I can go into um, Capricorn because I have a really interesting example. Um, so I have Cheech Marine, uh, you know, one half of the well-known comedy duo Cheech and Chong. Um, what's interesting is that he has his moon in the second decan of um, Capricorn, so that artisan decan. 
you know, ruled by a ninth house Cancer Saturn, which is, I think, I don't know how close it is to his son because he also has the sun in Cancer rejoicing in the ninth. Um, and for one, I thought it was interesting because like he literally like moved to a foreign can- country, Canada, um, to evade the draft. <laughs> And that's when he met his uh, comedy partner, uh, Tommy Chong, and they made a bunch of uh, movies together, um, one of which is Up in Smoke, which was um, really high grossing, despite how low budget it was. Um, And what's interesting is that he's used his um, status as a respected comedian to bring attention to Chicano art. And actually later this year, I think this summer, um, he's going to have like a a proper center for the art collection he's amassed since the 80s but um over the years he's had like a national tour of his uh chicano art collection um because he wanted people to see the artistry of underrepresented or marginalized folks and i feel like that speaks to having moon in detriment but rejoicing in the third so i thought it was a good example that's a really good example um my my example is kid cuddy has Moon and Capricorn in the first second, and it's ruled by Saturn and Scorpio in the first house conjoined to his AC. So um, I, so he has a, first of all, he has a Capricorn stellium. He, he has Neptune, Jupiter, Venus, Moon, and Mercury, and all of those planets, but Mercury are in that first second of Capricorn. <laughs> um it's I think it speaks a lot to I mean he's had a pretty prolific career and now he's going into acting apparently like I know he was in Don't Look Up I think he's got like a show on Netflix coming up um but you know in terms of he's he is most known for his music and at this point now he has been around for quite some time um but his music really focuses on his struggles with depression the loneliness as well as drugs and spirituality and I thought this was very Cap Moon. I don't know what the update is on this because this is from an interview for like many years ago. But he decided he needed to go cold turkey, just like full cold turkey on drugs and alcohol in order to just completely quit the habit. Mm-hmm. You know, that's interesting because um, Frank Ocean also has um, a moon in this in um, Capricorn, but it's in the third decan. It's ruled by Saturn and Sagittarius. But his moon is square at Mars and Libra, so his chart ruler. And I think it's interesting that he's also, like... Like, I remember one of the songs that, like, made him really uh, famous was Novocaine, which was also about, like, drugs and things like that. Um, But it's interesting because he actually um, had, like, a career ghostwriting songs for people. And he was, like, his, like rise to fame started by joining that group odd future like i don't remember if you remember odd future but like god it's taking me back to like (laughs) being on tumblr in like 2009 2010 when they were like coming up and they were doing like you know weird shit but also like something that's like really annoying is that you know he's a great songwriter who's like got this like very melodic voice but like I'm thinking about his moon Mars square and how like everybody was like clowning him for not releasing an album (laughs) for the longest time. And like, I think he still hasn't released an album like since blonde, like, and everybody's just like sick of him. They're like, dude, where'd you go? Like, come back. (laughs) 
<laughs> I believe, I, I think there was also a big gap between Kid Cudi and some of his album, al- albums. And he also was like, people need to stop clowning me about like when my next album is going to come out. Like artistry takes time. He said something like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, also like, I think it's funny because he was sued by his parents for defamation. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah. And it's funny because like, I feel like that's like Saturn in his second house. And I, I think that happened during his Saturn return actually. Like, his dad was upset that, like, he said, oh, it's because his, he's like, okay, I had, like, my first experiences with, like, homophobia and transphobia because, you know, he's out and queer um, with his father, and his father wanted to sue him for defamation. And, like, this was literally when Saturn wasn't sad, like, that this was going on. So I think it's interesting that that that's informed his artistry as like a musician, but like also like um, how like the dispositor of that um, moon, which also rules the fourth house. And I think, I don't remember if Frank Ocean is a night chart or not. Let me check. Cause I think he is. No, he's a day chart. Wow. But still Saturn was just like, not, <laughs> not having it. Um, yeah. I don't have any more cat. Well, I had more cab examples, but I thought it was interesting that like there are some other like Cap Moon in the third examples who are also like singer, not necessarily like singers, but also like people who make beats. So like one of them was like David Guetta, for example, um, who had his like big come up like again in that like 2010, 2011, 2012 space where he was like cranking out hit after hit. So, like, I thought that was um, interesting that there are a lot of people who are, like, I play with beats and sounds and, like, make music that's vibey, have these, like, cat placements, you know? It's just really yeah. weird. Um, but, yeah. Uh, we can go to Aquarius now because I only have, like, two examples that I really want to go into. You can go ahead because I, I don't have any examples for Aquarius. Okay. So, first example is Timothy Leary. <laughs> Um, but basically he has the moon in the third decan of, um, Aquarius squaring his, uh, Mercury and Venus conjunction in the Scorpio 12th house, but it's ruled by 10th house Virgo Saturn. So this was the guy who discovered LSD, um, promoted it a little too hard and eventually got fired from Harvard. (laughs) Um, and he was a prominent figure in the counter countercultural movement of the sixties and seventies. So if you're somebody who's into the idea of psilocybin and LSD as therapies, which are becoming popular now, but this guy was ahead of his time. Now these are starting to be explored for their therapeutic potential. And he was working like in that space when they were still legal, but right before like Nixon at all would work to make them illegal. So like a lot of people who um, were involved in some of the like hippie countercultural movement, like um, he was like a well-known figure in that. Um, he was also a psychometrician uh, during world war two when he was finally drafted, but like, this is somebody who was like, I don't really care for school, but like when it matters to me, like I'll get serious. And like, that's how he became like involved in like the like psychology, um, psychiatric like field. 
and I just thought it was interesting. Um, meanwhile, we have Jenna Marbles, who also has a Deccan three moon, um, ruled by her first house, Saturn and Sagittarius. And so she was a prominent YouTuber um, up until 2020 when she quit for uh, her problematic videos where she would, you know, make fun of different ethnic groups or like slut shade women or like do blackface. And what's ironic is that the videos from that particular time frame, she would have been in a third house perfection year where her moon was activated as a co as a co lord. And what's funny is she quit YouTube in 2020, which was her 11th house perfection year, when she when it perfected to her um, when the 11th sorry when the third house perfected to Sagittarius, which is her first house. And, you know, the ruler of the third happens to be there. So I think it's interesting that she quit YouTube that year. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if she makes a comeback because I think all of this stuff in Aquarius is just hanging out near her moon. So, uh, no, it'll be interesting to see if she decides to come back or not. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I thought it was funny that people with like either quirky views or like people who are um, comedians also tend to have like like moons in this house and Aquarius in particular because Arsenio Hall was like another example of mine. But I just haven't like, you know, looked enough into his bio to see like specifics. But I think it's interesting that he was also like a comedian. No, I <laughs> that's our yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens with Jenna Marbles because there is just so much of that Aquarius right now. And I don't know how close Saturn is. Oh, she's got that moon in the third decan. Yeah. I mean Saturn mm -hmm. hasn't it's even right passed there. over yeah it's there though yeah. it's there oh it's um, there oh geez yeah yeah um do you have any pisces examples i do not i was gonna see if i could quickly search but no i don't have any off the top of my head okay um so these are the two that i really liked so another one of leo tolstoy's children lev tolstoy um he actually has his moon in the first decan of pisces in a grand cross with mars by opposition squaring saturn and the sun and it's ruled by a fifth house towards jupiter so what's interesting is that he was also a writer like his father but like he did very fine writing that doesn't fit into like certain genres um, despite having a good relationship with his father, he ended up breaking with his moral teachings and defended um, the Russian monarchy at the time and was like a patriot of like, I don't know, Russian sovereignty. So I guess he was anti like Bolshevik and everything. So he did end up being exiled in Sweden, but he became known for his sculpting and art. And he was still an ardent critic of his father. But ironically, he made like a bust of his father and like certain leaders like Mussolini and they sit in like a very swanky Italian museum to this day. So um, that's interesting. Uh, and then um, I feel like also in his bio, he was like wandering around different parts of Europe as well. So like there's some of that wandering inspiring his like art sculpting and things like that. And then Paul Newman um who also has his uh moon in the first decade of pisces um ruled by a first house capricorn jupiter conjunct the ascendant um so he was on his polymath shit um and he got a degree in economics and drama after he served in world war ii but right after that he started joining these like traveling um 
uh, theater companies so that he could develop his um, uh, improvisational skills, which got him into the Yale School of Drama. And he like studied at different, um, studied theater at different um, like institutions before he became like, you know, a well-known actor. I mean, it helps that he's hot. So like, you know, it helped. You know what I mean? But then on top of that, um, he had this love of cars. He loved racing cars. Like everybody focuses on Paul Newman, the actor, right? But he was a race car driver. So he drove for the Sports Car Club of America. And this, I feel like this ties in his um, seventh house rulership of the moon nicely. So he met this guy, Bill Freeman, who he formed a partnership with and a team and he introduced him to the racing world. And he actually, you know, had a stint and was one of the oldest drivers to be associated with a winning team in this like league of sports. Also, what's funny is that um, later he came out of his acting retirement um, to uh, narrate a, um, a NASCAR documentary. So yeah, it, it's fun stuff. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea that he was so multi-talented and I, 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 okay. I did find a good moon in Pisces in the third house example to round us, um, to kind of close this out, but it's Marie Curie. She has moon in <gasps> oh, Pisces. Yeah, that's um, right. Unfortunately, like not too far from Chiron, which I'll go into, but yeah, she does have this moon in Pisces. It rules her seventh house, which I think is very telling, you know, cause she, um, her husband was also a chemist, right? And in some ways, like, that relationship was able to help open doors for her as a woman um, at that time. And But, you know, it was she who ultimately ended up winning the Nobel Peace Prizes and stuff. And she has Uranus in Cancer, too. And I think it's very interesting mm-hmm. that she's known for discovering polonium and radium. And a lot of that's due to her research on uranium and so and ra- you know radioactivity and all of that so um i thought that one was a really good example um i think she came up i think she had come up in our scorpio episode because she has that scorpio stellium if i recall correctly but yeah yeah she's got moon and pisces in the third house she did she has the stellium no she she came up in the pisces episode too she came up in the Pisces episode too because um because of how she met Pierre. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And I think what's interesting is that I I believe Pierre Curie has a speculative uh Pisces rising. He does. Yeah. So that's really cute to me. So I, I thank you for sharing that example again. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it then, yeah. Yeah, that's it. I heard your cat's purring. <laughs> you can hear it now. I'm going to save those recordings. I'm not editing it out. Yes, she's sniffing the microphone because it's time to eat. So, Oh, all right. Well, let's close it out then. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And thanks, Mo, for recording this with me. Yeah, I'm really happy to talk to everybody about Venus next time. That should be fun. <laughs> Same. All right. Bye, everyone.